0: So it seems like it'd be natural to me right now that you're going, how do I get more of that? How do I get involved in that? Um, wow, I, I said in first service as well, Like I don't know whether to, uh, whether to get up and say, wow, no, no pastor has ever been um, better set up to teach through a passage. Um, if you've ever read uh, Hebrews six, you, then you know you were just walked through Hebrews six um, in an amazing way. I mean, that's just incredible. Uh, or do I get up after something like that and say, really? I've got to preach after that? Like that was, wow. Okay, so, um, uh, so let me, this is how I was planning to start until, you know, Paul, kind of, I mean, uh, John kind of left, the team kind of left my jaw on the ground, but um, I was going to walk up and say "Bokatov," um, which is Hebrew, uh-huh, see, wherever Paul McKenzie is, some of us picked up some Hebrew, um, Bo Katov, which is a way of saying good morning, so "Bokatov." Excellent. That's a good way to uh, to start our time this morning, um, and and I want to say thank you for. Um, I, I cannot even begin to tell you what a blessing it is um, to know that when God gives me the opportunity to to be involved or invested in mission or teaching or something outside of this locale on a Sunday morning, it is such uh, a blessing to know that I have. Um, they're trustworthy men and women who can step in and lead and teach, like I know Paul did last week. Who can lead us well through worship, like I know Dave did. And just, um, uh, just what a what a huge um, blessing that is for us as a church. Um, I've I've said before there are times I feel guilty knowing that there are people in our church um, who aren't teaching who would be the best choice at many other churches. Um, all over our community and likely the best choice here as well. So um, uh, I just, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that. Um, So, okay. So I also wanted to ask this, how many of you are old enough to know the reference Br'er Rabbit? Anybody, anybody know? Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Excellent. Um, So the, uh, the, the, the stories, these, the stories that were told um, these were these were old slave um, stories, kind of slave myths that that the slave culture kind of recreated their own myths and stuff, and they usually involved animals and so the the brer uh, brother is that 's the way of saying brother the brer rabbit stories, which I was raised on um, and i 'm going to give you the, uh, one version quickly i 'm glad many of you recognize that so i don 't i 'm not losing you but um the brer rabbit stories um, my favorite one was Brer rabbit um, and it, it actually is about the tar baby but that's not that 's the, the the throwing into the the uh, Briar Patch. Thank you. Wow. Okay. The throwing into the Briar Patch. Um, that's the that's the actual story that like I loved as a kid was throwing in the Briar Patch. So so here you have Brother Rabbit has been Brewer Rabbit has been captured by Brother Fox and and uh, and and Fox is coming up with all these different horrible things that he can do to the Rabbit and um, but the Rabbit who is super crafty um, in these stories. Um, begins to say like, listen, I understand if you want to cook me and eat me, I get that. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm cool with that. And, um, But just don't throw me into the briar patch. Whatever you do, don't do that. And then he, it's a whole reverse psychology thing that they, that, that they have going on. And he, you know, oh, you can boil me, but don't don't throw me. You can stick me with pins, but don't throw me in the briar patch. And, and finally the fox is all excited about, it. I finally found the thing he hates and fears the most, which of course is all a lie. Rabbits love briar patches. That's their favorite thing. And so as soon as he throws them in the briar patch, the rabbit's gone and he's free. And the fox is made a fool of again. So um, here's why I say that. We're going to jump into Hebrews 6. And if you're at all familiar with all the, um, that one of the places where, Christian, where Christians will disagree or fight about um, biblical teaching is, is, and there's a lot of different names for this doctrine, the security of, of the saints or the perseverance of the saints, or, or um, maybe you've heard it termed once saved, always saved, or, or different things like that. So if you're someone who takes the stance that, listen, once once you're saved, you're saved. That can't be taken from you, you can't have that lost, that that's your stance. Then if that's your view, then typically Hebrews six is a chapter you just wanna stay away from. Um, Because Hebrews six is kind of considered in many ways kind of the stronghold of people who would say, you can lose your salvation. Um, But here's what I would tell you. So not only would I say, I am more than happy. I feel like we're going into the briar patch Um, when we get into Hebrews 6. When it comes to the question of security of salvation and when it comes to the question of the perseverance of our Savior, and his ability to save. So I've told people before when they've wanted to debate this and they're like, well, um, you probably want to be in Romans. I'm like, no, no, I tell you, let's go to Hebrews. In fact, let's teach on, let's talk about nothing but Hebrews chapter six. And their eyes get real wide and I'm like, because that's the briar patch for me, my friends. I, I feel like this is as clear a teaching on this doctrine as you can find anywhere in the Bible. And, and so I'm excited to get into Hebrews six today for the opposite reason why people who want to um, sometimes want to do it. Um, so, when, we, when you come in today, you are right now as prepared as I can imagine a heart would be, based on the worship that we just experienced, to be aware of the fact that Christ has regarded your helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for your soul. That, that you bring nothing of value to the table, that he is a sure and steadfast anchor. You just sang, or you heard other people sing about that exact phrase an anchor that holds within the veil. You may have no idea what you were singing when you sang that, but if, if I don't run out of time, you will know by the time we're done here. So we'll start in chapter six, verse one, which of course begins with the word therefore. Um, we are after all in Hebrews. So typically Hebrews chapters begin with therefore. So we've had therefore listen, we've had therefore consider, we've had therefore fear, and now we have therefore Leave. Um, specifically leave elementary teachings basic teachings teachings for children um, this is because what we've been studying so far if you've listened you've listened to the warnings the attitudes and positions of jesus so therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of christ and go on to maturity not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works faith towards god instruction about washing, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So that's what the writer of Hebrews considers elementary teaching. Does anybody feel talked down to a little bit? So this is, this is the, the writer of Hebrews thinks that repentance from dead works, faith. so the role of repentance, faith towards God, instruction about washing, again, this is a Hebrew audience, so of course that's one of the things they're going to be fighting about, Um, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are infantile to you. If you still have questions about that, you're still an infant. Anybody? Holy cow. I read that and I'm like, wow, I'm in huge trouble because I'm about to have to teach something that apparently I'm still stuck on elementary teachings because I have lots of questions about some of those things. So we're just going to do our best Um, on these topics. So everybody is 100% on these, right? So we can move along. Now, speaking of 100%, um, this, that was a segue, by the way. They teach you that in seminary. That was a segue. Speaking of 100%, we're still not 100% on the City on a Hill campaign. And so speaking of elementary teachings, things that we have to come back to and back to and back to, um, I'm going to come back to this yet again. Um, this is something that as a church, if you if, and part here's part of why I got to do this. Some of you are regular attenders, and you're here week after week, and you're like, really? Again, for the fourth time in a row, he's going to talk about this? You've got to remember that for many people, the attendance is like one in four, one in five, one in six Sundays. And so this may be the first time some people are hearing this. So be patient. But, but this, is, this is what our church has clearly been led to do, is to impact the next generation of Christians in new ways, to invest in them, to equip them, to train them in new ways. Um, that's, that is clear. Let me, all you got to do is walk next door. And many of you came from next door in here. And so you know this. Um, this is what God has called us to. If you were here for the fireworks Friday night, which, what a great job, the team, all the volunteers and others who did that. I mean, I, I heard people, tons of people. I mean, there, were, there was uh, like 150 something. Uh, Lance sent me this this morning 150, 160 people who, who filled on a little card. I have no involvement in church, I have no relationship to a church. And they were here Friday night to experience, they saw the gospel, they experienced the gospel, they heard the gospel, they read the gospel. I mean, it was put in their hands and they experienced a place that they were welcome. You are welcome. If you are a guest, you are welcome. We, we really are authentically proud that you've chosen to be here with us. Um, we know we don't deserve that. We haven't earned that. It is just a great gift that you've given to be here. And so we, we're authentically extremely excited about that. Um, and, and the, I did get, if you were here Friday night, I did get a pretty good, exciting you know yell when, the, when I said at one point, and we're gonna do a drawing, um, and the drawing is gonna be whoever wins gets free coffee and donuts once a week for every week of the next year. And people were like, yeah! And I was like, all you gotta do is come here on Sunday morning, free coffee, free donuts. That's a, everybody wins free coffee and donuts for a year once a week. Everybody just won, congratulations. Um, or granola, if that's your thing. So that's a... Uh, um, uh, that was, uh, like two weeks ago, I saw that they were handing out granola. That was, that's how long it took me to notice, like, because there's donuts. Um, why, why would anyone, anyway. Um, so here's the thing. We got about 20 more people signed up. We needed 120 more people. By the next couple of weeks, we need 120 more people to say I'm part of this, to commit to part of this. And so I want to say a few words about it just to make sure you know. I'm going to keep coming back. to This is our elementary teaching um, can, can you yet see in our church how this is where our church is going? If you're a person who says, you know, I don't, I don't like pledge cards or I don't like that kind of stuff, that is okay. Then don't fill it out as a pledge card. Fill it out and say, I'm committed to this. I will give as God leads. Don't put a number on it. The number is not what we're measuring for success here. Um, that is God's problem. I truly, honestly, authentically believe the number is God's problem. The involvement is our problem. Um, Being faithful to commit to it is our problem. Now, I also learned a new issue today that I'm gonna share with you just so to help you out. Um, A member of our staff um, who will go unnamed uh, realized, told me this morning, yeah, my wife and I each thought the other one had signed up. So if that's happening on the staff and we don't have a big staff, then probably that's happening out there. So I'm gonna give you just a second and check. Why don't you real quickly, just take a second, make sure if you intended to commit in any way to city on a hill, make sure with your spouse that at least one of you did. Go ahead. Really, I'll give you a second. Please, please check. A lot of you are still looking at me. You need to be, you need to, if you're married, you need to be checking and making sure. Now if you're not, and if you're not a member, and especially if you've got kids in this program or grandkids in this program, please, please commit to this. Again, this isn't about the number. It's not, it does if you don't, if it pledging is the issue or whatever, if the number is the issue. Please don't let that be the issue. I have a bunch up here. Come get them after church. We have about, we're right at about 200 people. We need 301 people. I know that was a rather arbitrary number, but it's still the number we're going with, okay? So, 301. There's literally half a child stuck up on that board. If that doesn't break your heart, <laughs> it shouldn't. Okay, um, now back to this passage, now back to the meat. We will do this if God permits, same thing. Like next week, we won't talk about city on a hill if God permits and you sign up. Um, so verse four, four, so here's the word four, just relating maybe to the phrase so far, laying a foundation, maybe relating to everything that's been written so far in this letter. This is why the writer wants to move on. Four, it is a signal of the progressive nature of this letter, if you've not ever read, for example, the book of Hebrews from beginning to ending in one sitting, let me strongly recommend you do that. It doesn't take that long. And, but you, but you start from, you'll see that the writer is, is leading you, is teaching you step to step to step to step. That's what's been going on. That's why you have so many fours and therefores. This, then this. Because of this, this. Because of this, this. And we're gonna get to more of that. That's still gonna continue to happen. Four, it is impossible. In the case of those who once have been enlightened, Who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, there are some in Christendom who teach that this passage is not about a believer. I can't fathom that. When I read this list, they've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God. And they've tasted the power of the age to come. I wonder about me. Like this is, this is an extreme, this is someone who not only knows it and agrees with it and believes it, but has experienced the power of God in salvation. I'm absolutely convinced that this is about a believer or believers. That's, that's what I think this passage is about. I cannot fathom how it could not be so here you have, I know there are plenty of people who teach otherwise, but I, I've never been convinced by that. I can't see it. I do want you to know that it's possible that this passage is about church membership. That's actually a very feasible possibility. That this is about the early Christians, the second and third generation of Christians. So Jesus was resurrected somewhere in the early AD 30s. Um, now we have, uh, this is in probably the mid AD 60s. Um, 30 years later, you've got second generation Christians, third generation Christians, fourth generation Christians, and, and they're hiding down in caves and tombs to avoid um, uh, the, the, the Caesars at the time and they are hunted and, and hated and so they are hiding and, and what happens is sometimes someone's captured and they're tortured and they recant, they turn, um, they fall away and then they wanna come back to church later and it's understandable that the early church was going, do we let them back in? How do we know they're not now an agent of Rome? I mean, they've changed their colors now a couple of times. And so how do we know who to trust? Certainly we know that was a fight going on in the church at that time. How do we handle people who seem to have repented? If that's what this is about, then the writer of Hebrews is offering their opinion. They can't repent. Don't let them back. That's a possible, that is a very reasonable interpretation of this passage. It is not the one that I espouse, um, but it's possible and it would certainly work. I do think this is about the condition of the soul. Everything else in this chapter seems to be about the condition of the soul. So I don't know why this little phrase wouldn't be. So I'm gonna stick with that as the interpretation. That's totally fine. And and if it is, that's a tough question that we may have to face in generations to come or that our children who we're supposed to be equipping and training may have to face. Um, They may have to face what it's like to have a state who is in opposition to the church. And we need, that's why we've got to be equipping and training them and making space to equip and train more of them. Um, so I know I'm back to that. I'm not apologetic about it. We've, that's, this, is, this is an urgent thing for me. Um, so as looking at this though, so I'm gonna shorten this. If I'm on the assumption this is a believer, I'm gonna shorten it to this. For it is impossible in the case of those who have believed. I'm just shortening all of that to that phrase. And have then fallen away to restore them again to Repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So, sounds like you've got a believer who falls away. Now, understand, some of you may have been raised in a a, a tradition of Christianity that that holds to that. That your salvation is dependent upon you. At least its maintenance is dependent upon you. You mess up big enough. I, I was raised in that tradition um, and it was never totally clear exactly how much was enough. Um, to be perfectly honest, how much of a sin would count? Um, but that was kind of there. If you, if you sinned big enough, you needed to make sure and do the "Now I lay me down to sleep" prayer at night, so that if you died, you would still be saved. Um, that's a tradition. I know there are others, others who are raised with that tradition, where you were lived under this idea that you could lose your salvation, you could mess up and lose that. Um, I know I've talked with Dave Sherman about this before and uh, Dave's church literally had an eyeball Is that is that literally had an eye painted on one of the walls (laughs) The first I heard I was like, I don't know whether to laugh out loud at the absurdity of that or to grieve for the your your poor childhood like Who the heck at church as a kid walks into church and there's a big eye painted on the wall knowing God is watching you and just waiting for you to mess up so he can get you I was like, "That's that, that's Sauron, not Jesus Christ." Okay, so for the nerds in the room, I'm like, "That just blow, that Just I just breaks my heart." That's a Lord of the Rings reference for those of you who aren't nerds like me. That's a, a, a unreal. This idea that God was just waiting for us to mess up so that He could cast us back out again. That's the image, and I grew up a lot with that. Um, you didn't you didn't go to certain movies, and you didn't play, play did, didn't play with playing cards and things like that because. If God came back while you're playing with playing cards, you weren't going to heaven and that was just too, I mean like literally that, that level. And I'm not even talking about like sin, just, just the sins they had added on to scripture like that. And so this, this whole idea of how do, how do we live according to that? If that's what this, and, and boy, did they love to teach the first half of this passage. We're gonna look at all of it though. So is this saying a believer can fall away? It is saying that if a believer fell away, it would be impossible to restore them. That's the mind-boggling part to me as I was also raised that you were supposed to pray every night to reestablish your salvation. Does this passage allow room for that? It does not. This passage is abundantly clear. If you were a believer and you fell away, it would be, and I quote, impossible to restore you to repentance. That should give us a clue as to what the writer of Hebrews here is saying. It would be impossible So if you are truly a believer and you fell away, you're done. Why? Why would you be done? Because here's the deal. Apparently, if you somehow manage to go from being saved, if you have, to quote from John, if you have confessed your sins and he has been faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all all unrighteousness, That apparently, in order for you to get back condemned, you would need to get some unrighteousness back on your record. In other words, Jesus Christ would have had to miss some. He would have had to fail to save you from certain sin. He just missed a few, I guess, even just one. He blew it. There was a stain. He washed you clean, but he missed a spot. It's that simple. That's what it would take. If you discovered that you had unrighteousness, sin, back on your record, what would you have to do in order to get it fixed? Is there anything you can do about that? Was there anything you could do about it the first time? No and there's still nothing you can do about it. You need someone to die on a cross for you. You need Jesus Christ to come and live as a man and die on a cross and be resurrected from the grave in order to pay for that sin that you've somehow gotten back on your record. Is he going to do that again? No, he's not. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You would have to crucify him again. You would have to crucify once again, the son of God, which of course now, why to their own harm. Why to their own harm? Because you're making a claim about the first time he did it. Now you're guilty of crucifying Jesus again? How's that working out for you? It's not gonna happen. He's not willing to do it. Why would Jesus need to be crucified again? Because apparently the believers somehow got sin back on their record. And now they need a high priest to sacrifice for them again. Because apparently the first sacrifice of Jesus Christ was not sufficient to cleanse them of their sin. Once for all. Can you imagine? Yeah, I just said that from a pulpit. That, by the way, is blasphemy. It would be blasphemous to claim that Jesus Christ was... His sacrifice was insufficient. But that's what you're claiming if you claim that after Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, that you can get one back on your record. You're claiming he missed something. As the writer of Hebrews, so if you've been here in the last few weeks... Has the writer of Hebrews thus far been unclear as to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ? Has the writer of Hebrews left some question as to whether or not Jesus really is all that? I mean, okay, is he really all that big a deal? Has has, Has the writer made any, listen to what the writer's gonna say over the next few chapters. Could another sacrifice ever be called for again? Do we ever need a new high priest do we ever need a new sacrifice? Has any of this been left in question with the writer of Hebrews? Hebrews 7:27 is going to say when we get there next week, he has no need like those other high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Any question that there's more work to be done? Hebrews nine twelve he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews ten ten and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, I have this weird sense of like, this is why I can camp in the writer of Hebrews only on this topic. I'm happy to do that. I, can, I do not think any book in the entire scripture is more clear about the fact that what Jesus Christ has done is done. There's nothing more to be done. He didn't miss anything. He, oops, no. I actually think, and I'm gonna get here in a second, I think that teaching is, is borders on insulting to the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what I think the very point that the writer of Hebrews is making here All right, so the correct interpretation is that this is the very point the writer is making is it would be impossible to fall away once saved since the only way to accomplish this would be as if Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient. Since it was, if somehow someone did fall away, they would never be returned to a right relationship because it would mean A, Christ missed some sins and B, someone needs to pay for your sins because it ain't you. We're not capable of pulling that off. It's impossible to return such a person to salvation. Here you go, so, or repentance. Verse seven, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. This is not new teaching in the book. The writer of Hebrews has already said over and over again, those who listen to God's commands, those who listen to God's way, those who to pay attention to God's teachings and obey, they receive the blessing. Whatever the blessing happens to be, entering into the promised land, Um, being saved, hearing the truth, finding freedom, all these different things. These are examples of the blessings that he offers. And of course, verse eight, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Again, do not neglect so great a salvation. It's the same thing. When the rain comes, the rain is this gospel. Make sure you respond rightly. You respond in such a way that produces and grows and, and encourages and flourishes positive things, good things in our lives, living that out versus if the rain falls on you and all that you respond with is thistles and thorns and and more of that kind of stuff, um, that would be impossible to fix that. It's impossible because if you respond wrongly to the truth, destruction follows. Responding well leads to cultivation and a blessing. Um. I do believe now that the idea that I could maintain my own right status with God is insulting. Almost as insulting as the idea that Jesus' salvation would somehow be incomplete. It's not how it works. One of the places we went, if you can start running the video, one of the places that we went this time, which I've never been before, is to a a reconstruction uh, of the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness um, down near the Red Sea. And so one of the things I did is I just decided to video myself walking. to. I walked about 100 yards from it and started walking towards it again and videoing the the path of doing so. I want you to understand where this comes from for the Hebrew people. So the Hebrew people would have been scattered around in this area. Notice that the desert there is not sand. That That would be bad. But you're walking not across sand in order to get to the tabernacle. So you want you to imagine that there's sin in your life. And you realize you need to do something about it. So you go get one of the sheep from your fold. Not just any sheep, your best sheep and a male. So now all the opportunity for that male to reproduce. And by the way, the best sheep without blemish. Isn't that the one you want having lots of children? Sorry, your sin is gonna cost you that. You've gotta pick up that sheep and you've gotta walk to the tabernacle, which is probably miles Imagine 100,000s of people scattered along this area, which is what it would have been. Multiple hills away. You've gotta go up a hill and down a hill and up a hill and down a hill in scorching heat across the rock, in your sandals, carrying the lamb that your children have probably named. And now they're mad because your sin is costing them that lamb and you're gonna walk all that distance. The only thing that's wrong with this imagery as we walk through it is that they, had, we, they thought we had already left. Um, and they'd shut the gate. So you're gonna see me open the gate. There would have been no gate on the tabernacle. Um, There's a few other little details like the height of the carpets and that kind of stuff, but don't worry about that. So as I would have come walking in, carrying the sheep, carrying it four miles across the desert, and i go in and would walk through the, the tabernacle into that area and take it over to the priests who were over on one side, and they'd have chained the goat down and cut its throat, probably with my hands laying on it to represent the fact that this goat was carrying, it was bearing my sin. So as it bleeds out into the dirt, and then they take the little sheep, I mean, it's, this was this was maybe a hundred yards, and yet the up and down of it made it, I mean, I could not even fathom carrying something. Um, if I do ever go back there again, I think we're going to park about a mile away, and I'd give everybody a 25-pound bag of sugar or something, and make us carry to it. I, I, I mean, the the pain of that. I think, so as we come walking in, carrying the sheep, and I'm gonna walk up that little, there's a little ramp, and lay the sheep, what I would be then laying the sheep down in the place where the, the animal would be burned to represent the sacrifice to God. Now, maybe, maybe if we still had to do this, it would it would make us pay a little more attention to our sin. Maybe Maybe it would... Maybe it would take, make us take our sin a little more seriously. However, we don't have to do this. This has been done once for all. It never has to be done again. It has been done the right way, one time, forever. At minimum, it should humble me into recognizing the thought that I would somehow be responsible to maintain my own salvation is a joke, if I'm being generous. It's probably blasphemy. How insulting that Jesus Christ, who made sure we never have to do that again, that we would say, well, I mean, still every day we need to do that. How awful. Understand, you put your faith in Christ, you are free. You are free to never have to do that again. And that was 100 yards. I mean. Miles upon miles of that? I can't even wrap my brain around what those people were willing to do and yet what we have been offered. I will tell you it's the hardest part about being in Israel to me is interacting with the Jewish people who I learned to love like our guide and and then to hear them when I talk about God's stuff with them and have them go like, well, you know, who knows? They all have kind of a flippant part of it is they're trying to be nice to everybody. They don't want to offend anybody, so you'll have them be your guide again. But but it's a, you know, well, you know, who knows about who knows about and And you go, really? That's it? That's the height of your hope? Um, I have a picture that I took, and I'll show another week probably, um, of a painting done by a Jewish uh, artist with a a woman dressed in in bridal robes, um, holding her flowers, dejected like this, her head down, standing in front of the Western Wall, and it's titled, The Bride of the Messiah because the bride of the Messiah for them is just standing there alone and dejected. And it's heartbreaking to think that. Whereas we don't take seriously what God has purchased for us, what Jesus Christ did for us. Verse nine, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you had shown for his name, serving the saints as you still do, so the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, God is aware of the fact that you have responded well to that rain. You have begun to produce and reproduce in the saints. I'm gonna pass over the next verse there to Hebrews six eleven, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're gonna take that verse. That verse is gonna get exploded in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is about this exact verse. So we get there, you'll be patient. Hebrews 11 is about the patience of the people who inherited the promise without knowing that they were doing so. This is a humble attitude and recognizes that our confidence, what we hope in, really is the character of God. We don't hope in our own ability to maintain. We don't hope in our church. We don't hope in our pastor. We don't hope in our own anything. What we hope in is in the character of God to save us his ability, and his willingness to save us. Is this a God who I can trust? 13 through 18, for God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Again, this whole concept will be blown up in 11. I mean, just just in living color. But the idea here is, God promised Abraham something, and he delivered This is a God who delivers on his promises. He makes a covenant and he sticks by it. You can count on him. It's not a mindless hope. The character of God requires that he not lie. It's who he is. God is faithful. God comes through. God rescues. This main hope, confidence, is that we have a high priest who is competent to take care of our sins once for all. If you're someone who says, oh, but I've I've messed up in such ways, I can't serve, I can't can't work, I can't pray, I can't come to God because of the mess-ups in my life, that is insulting to Almighty God who has paid for that sin. It is a free gift for you, washed as white as snow, no matter what's in your past. That's the, yeah, we may have earthly consequences of our sin, but understand before God, we confess and he cleanses. He's faithful to do so. Our hope is in him. No sin is impressive to him. He's not ever impressed, not ever surprised. He is already behind the curtain. We're gonna talk about that in the next couple of weeks, big time. What it means to be behind the curtain. You'll see some of that. So, 16, so 6, 19 through 20, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Again, this is Hebrews 6. Does Hebrews 6 end and you go, I feel like my soul is at risk. When you hear a phrase like we have, this is a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. We are free to live the Christian life as God intended to risk and make mistakes and try things and fail and and to do our best, knowing that we're just, we just mess up everything because He has said, no, no, that's done. Done. Try. Go for it. Make the effort. Live in freedom. Does it sound like our soul is at risk? It does not. So, who would we trust in? Ourselves? I can't say no to a second donut. That's me. Am I going to trust in me? How about this? A perfect messenger sent to be the perfect message. First few chapters. A perfect law bringer sent to be the perfect covenant. First few chapters and building all the way through eight. A perfect king sent to be a perfect Lord. A perfect priest sent to be the perfect sacrifice. Do you know him? Have you put your faith in him? He's behind the curtain, within the veil where we can't go. We can now because that's where he is. If you don't know him, I pray that today will be the day of salvation for you. I pray that you'll come to know him and put your faith in the truth of someone who will never fail you. Disappoint you, yeah, all the time. It's because about, that's about us. But fail us, never, never. We can count on him, sure and steadfast. Pray with me. Father, we are humbled by what you have saved us from. Even something as simple as the necessity of walking through the desert to kill our favorite sheep. Even something as simple as that. God, that you've saved us from the fear of death and defeat. That you've saved us from the need to be constantly maintaining in some sort of Obsessive, compulsive, disorder version of salvation that we're constantly having to to cross every T and dot every I in such a way that it's dependent upon us versus the fulfillment of your son. Your son is the fulfillment of all of it. God, thank you that we have the freedom to live in freedom. It's for freedom that we've been set free. Freedom by your son, and those who are set free by your son are free indeed. God, help us to take our sins seriously. Because it allows us to worship you in spirit and in truth to recognize what you have saved us from. Thank you, Father. I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, I pray that your spirit will speak to their heart right now and remind them. If there's anyone here who does not see the need for us to raise up a new generation of believers who are prepared to hold on to this truth in the face of only you know what kind of pressure I pray you'll give them that vision as well. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you're going to keep doing That you have accomplished what you've started. We praise you and thank you in your son's name. Amen. Stand if you will. We'll sing, but you hope you'll respond however the spirit leads. If you need to come pray, come pray. Um, if you need to sign up to, to work here to be a volunteer here, or if you've talked to Lance um, and you know if you have, and if you haven't, then you still need to about joining the church and becoming a part of our dysfunctional family, we'd love to have you. So um, pray, ask God to lead you in this invitation time.